Drinks, food, art, fun. This is Hops and Spirits, Kentucky. For everyone that was at Rail Bird Fest this weekend in Lexington, I hope you had a blast. I know I did. I got to go Saturday. Amazing performances. Yes, it was hot, but plenty of shade, plenty of water, and a, a few good beers and pours were, were to be had for me. But I hope those that went Sunday had just as good a time. And if you didn't go to Rail Bird, I hope you still had a great weekend. What's pouring, though? Some news and notes from around Kentucky. Mason, Ohio-based 16 Lots Brewing has officially opened its long-awaited second tap room. This one in Newport on the Levee, up in northern Kentucky. Dubbed the Southern Outpost, the brewery features amenities such as a riverfront patio and cigar speakeasy lounge. The tap room and kitchen hosted its grand opening back in mid-May. Location has a nautical theme and features 2,000 square foot outdoor patio, live music venue, and a full-service restaurant. The spot is open daily for lunch and dinner. And per a Facebook post, they plan to start a brunch service soon. Taco John's will expand its presence in Kentucky and is expected to open in Brandon Crossing between Lexington and Nicholasville this month. The national chain is known for its traditional Mexican food with a twist uh, with menu items such as street tacos, breakfast burritos, and Mexican donut bites. The location is expected to be one of five locations in the Lexington area, according to the Herald Leader. The Midway Bourbon and Blues Festival is set for this weekend, June 10th and 11th, in downtown Midway. The festival is a reincarnation of Francisco's Farm Art Fair. The festival is taking the very best artists and craftspeople and pairing them with two things Kentuckians love, bourbon and blues. Learn more at MidwayKentucky.org. And the Kentucky Craft Bash is coming up on Saturday, June 24th at Louisville's Waterfront Park. The 6th Annual Bash only pours beers from breweries within the Commonwealth and features more than 50 local breweries and more than 150 beers. For tickets and more info, visit KYCraftBash.com. And last but not least, the Belle of Louisville is launching a new On the River Cruise series, which allows guests the chance to explore themed content and all the nooks and crannies of the iconic Belle while snacking and sipping your way from deck to deck. Events include Juneteenth on the River on June 16th, Locust Grove on the River on July 28th, Bourbon on the River on September 1st, and Ghosts on the River on Friday, October 13th. Spooky, right? <laughs> uh, there are two types of tickets available, the eat and drink tickets and then just drink tickets. All On the River Cruise tickets can be purchased at belloflouisville.org under the Special Events tab. Up next, though, our Road Trip Series 2023 continues with a trip south down to Chattanooga, Tennessee. Remember to check out Hops and Spirits on social media at Hop Spirits, all one word, on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and Twitter. You can also find Hops and Spirits on YouTube and at HopSpirits.com. Joining us for our Q&A this week, it's not exactly Kentucky, and I'll explain why that, that is. Welcome in the co-founder and CEO of Chattanooga Whiskey, Tim Pearson. Hey, Jonathan. Well, I'm, I'm glad to have you back, Tim. It's been a while. I think uh, 2020 was the last time we talked, and, and I'm guessing some things have changed since then, right? Yeah, we're, uh, we're no longer in a pandemic, so we'll, just, you know, we'll uh, count our blessings there. <laughs> so, and we'll get into all that, but for those that don't know about you, tell us a little bit about yourself. Not too much, because like I said, I got some good questions to ask here in a second. Yeah, so my name is Tim Pearsant and um, you know, founder CEO of Chattanooga Whiskey. Uh, I was born and raised in Chattanooga, Tennessee. So fun fact, I don't know why a lot of people find that surprising. I guess Chattanooga is not the, the biggest town, but it's not a small town either. So I uh, went to um, Auburn University, met my wife there. We started our lives together back in Chattanooga in 05. Worked for my dad until I started Chattanooga Whiskey in 2011. 
And I started with a co-founder. Uh, we spent a couple of years having to fight laws to uh, to make it legal to distill in Chattanooga. And um, and then a couple of years later, built the first distillery in Chattanooga in 100 years. And and now, uh, you know, here we are. We are. We're in a much larger facility now. We have both operating distilleries in downtown Chattanooga. One's our riverfront headquarters, which is where we scale up you know, all of our uh, recipes that we want to scale from experimental. And um, this past year, we were named Craft Producer of the Year by Whiskey Magazine uh, at Icons of Whiskey. So that was really cool. It's been a great ride. Uh, we just celebrated uh, our 11th founders, uh, so, or our founders, our second founders iteration, which was our 11th anniversary. So celebrating 11 years since we launched Chattanooga Whiskey in April of 2012. Uh, with an MGP product, mind you, uh, because it was illegal to distill. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that has that's our history in a nutshell. I've got a wife and two kids, um, and uh, we love living in downtown Chattanooga and love having both of the distilleries operating in downtown Chattanooga, just as they might have pre-prohibition. I, I love that, and see where, where you live, and if, you, if folks, if you haven't been to Chattanooga. Highly recommend it because it's part of the reason I, I've got you on this one because it's part of our road trip 2023 series. And, and we'll talk a little bit about that here in a second. But what made you get into whiskey? Like what was the driving force? Because the alcohol world is a weird, wild world to get into. Yeah, in 2011, when my co-founder and I had the idea and posted it on Facebook, uh, it we, it was still i feel like before the bourbon boom but it maybe at the beginning um and discovering it was just the timing was was right because it was early enough to where not everyone had uh started drinking bourbon to the degree that that it blew up uh the the following years and so you didn't have really the interest to want to bring distilling back to Chattanooga. And there wasn't the interest to research it and find out either. So, you know, we found all of this rich distilling history in Chattanooga pre-prohibition from approximately 1866 to 1915 when the last distillery shut down because of the onslaught of, of prohibition in Tennessee. And it was never revived and uh, I think there just, again, wasn't enough interest to revive it in 2011. And, I, and to my knowledge, the, the couple of people that uh, may have had an interest in distilling in downtown Chattanooga uh, found that it was illegal and didn't pursue a law change, which was a lot more involved than we expected it to be. And, and so... Maybe, uh, maybe, maybe they were the wiser ones to not pursue it, because two years into fighting those laws, the fact that it took us nearly that long was pretty surprising. But it was totally worth it because, um, well, where we are today, but uh, but also it's just a great part of our story. Well, and, and I was going to say that I mean that is a true true part of your story that is is amazing because people don't probably don't realize, especially if you've gotten into bourbon. And you're just kind of enjoying the, the liquid and maybe not looking at all, all the history. You might think Tennessee, oh, 
you know, it would have been legal everywhere. Not, not quite like, like you can't even go to, you know, some of the places that have been there forever and technically have, have drinks uh, on site. Uh, right. So the laws down there were not exactly welcoming for your idea. And why, why were you willing though, to fight that? And, and can you talk a little bit about, about all that? Yeah, it was the adventure. Uh, it was the history uh, I mean, revise, revitalizing a, a, a unique, rich history that was integral to the community uh, pre-prohibition. Uh, Chattanooga is just such a cool town. It's got such a cool folklore about it. And the fact that distilling was, you know, kind of at the epicenter, um, you know, of Chattanooga and, and Chattanooga was at the epicenter of distilling in the southeast. Uh, and and to tell that story, the really cool story to be a part of that revitalization. And we had several people around us that had interest in, in financially backing us to see this happen. And the changing changing the laws, it was um it was a conversation with the community. And that was something that my co-founder and I, I think we were good at. We were good at uh, having a conversation with the community. We were good at telling the story and uh, and painting this picture of what we we thought Chattanooga whiskey should look like repackaged, right? Like packaged back into, you know, bringing it back for the first time in, in 100 years. And social media was at a place where it was very much an open dialogue. You know, it was an open platform there. There weren't all the algorithms that there are today that filter the information that they, the way they do today. And back then, you know, when we started, I mean, the same night we had the idea, we started a Chattanooga Whiskey Facebook page before we even had a company. And instantly there were hundreds. Um, and then within a week or two, there were thousands of locals just asking questions. We were posting content about bringing it back and they were wanting to know, you know, they thought it was really cool and the news got involved and truly a snowball effect. And, uh, and that snowball effect carried us through the law change, uh, but it inspired us to, uh, to sit down with all of the legislators and figure it out. And we found, you know, the, the good news is, is that we had the community uh, behind us and there was a lot of energy there. And that's the, the energy that kept us going. But, you know, th there was a lot of pushback from the local legislators. Uh, there was, the, no one really knew how to interpret this law. And um, it was very much buried in a hundred years of, of uh, prohibition, of distilling prohibition in the majority of the 95 counties in Tennessee. And so it required a, you know, a legislator or a handful of legislators to stick their neck out there and say, yeah, we'll, we'd like to see this thing pass, you know, so let's, let's figure it out. And no one really wanted to do that. And so it required us um, having to, you know, go before the, the county commission and then form new bills, house bill 102. Fortunately, there was a, there was a legislator that had formed a, a bill in 09 where Nashville uh, passed a distilling law and um, a handful of other counties, but the majority of the 95 counties did not adopt that bill. And so it made it 
actually a lot harder for us because those counties intentionally were not a part of that 09 bill. So we had to rewrite this bill or write a new bill, House Bill 102, um, uh, you know, in order to, to essentially force the hand and not allow individual municipalities to say, I either do want to be a part of this or I don't want to be a part of this. And, and so we wrote the bill to, to essentially say that if there's liquor by the drink and if there are package uh, retail sales in that respective municipality, then you can also get a license to distill in that municipality. And that changed the laws in the majority of the 95 counties. And that, I think, was what um, created the real craft distillery boom in the state of Tennessee. I was going to say, you guys laid a lot of that groundwork and it's cool to see what, what's come about it, but was there ever a point where you're like, Oh no, maybe we won't get to, to be in Chattanooga uh, to do this or have to kind of pivot to a plan B or C. Yeah, there were a couple of moments for sure. I mean, there was a distillery that lobbied against us because um, it was going to, because there, there were some other distilleries that were, amending our bill to uh because there were distance requirements between distilleries and uh, in one particular county there was a distillery that owned some property right next to another distillery so they were going to put up some competition and that distillery didn't want to see it happen so they got really creative about how to put a stop to us and uh by trying to send us to a referendum and basically have um, people pretend that they were representatives of our distillery. We didn't want to go to a referendum because it would have actually rolled. Uh, it would have rolled our progress for at least another year, and um, which would have been exhausting and probably would have killed our momentum. So, and then we would have had to, you know, go to a, a another county nearby um, to to try and make that happen. But it, you know, it wouldn't have been as authentic. We had to make it happen in Chattanooga, Tennessee. So yeah, there were uh, there were there was a legislator that stood in our way because he he stood and I mean he was the reason that it didn't pass in 09 and in Chattanooga and and um you know it's crazy I mean you know several years later there he is still just you know putting up a fight and uh, and for reasons that we didn't think were reasonable um, but but uh it was it was it you know it took it took the entire legislative session in order to get it passed through but again you know it was totally worth it because um the the community fight uh is turned into what we call whiskey to the people and whiskey to the people um is uh is a unique part of our story and if there wasn't a fight uh if there wasn't a you know a fight with the law then our story wouldn't be as uh, as rich as it is so it's pretty cool I was going to say, I mean, truthfully, that's, that's the history of alcohol in a, in a sense. And it, it's even in the modern age, it, it still can happen. And, and you, like you mentioned, you, you've always been up front with pretty much everything. And, and you mentioned, you know, the early years was, was MGP and you could actually get your hand on MGP back, back then a little easier than you, than you can now. Why were you so upfront about sourcing at a time when maybe not everyone was and, and then why retire that 1816 series once uh, everything kind of got up up to speed? The answer to the first question is because we wanted to build a distillery. And we had to tell that story. We had to get the community behind us 
in order to change the laws in order to build a distillery. If, if we didn't want to build a distillery, then, well, it, it wouldn't have been us, but that is that would be a reason why someone wouldn't be as transparent about uh, about their mission, right? I mean, if if the mission is only to sell whiskey and is to do nothing else, well, then yeah, maybe you're incentivized to hide the fact that you don't authentically make it. Um, but that just isn't who we are, and that was never a part of our that was that was never our goal. Our goal was never to just brands I mean, and also that just doesn't make any sense in my opinion like why would you brand something after a town and just continue to do that and never have any intention of distilling it then it'll always be chattanooga whiskey made in indiana and that just and and that and trust me i mean <laughs> there's the the questions around that got really old uh i mean it was a daily even though on a daily basis for years, we were telling the story about why it was made in Indiana and that it, it, it that it is illegal to distill in Chattanooga and that this is all a mission to change the laws and raise money and build the first distillery in Chattanooga in a hundred years. But, you know, obviously there's a lot of consumers out there that aren't listening to or necessarily care about those details. Uh, and so there we received a lot of pushback on a daily basis from local locals that just refused to support Chattanooga whiskey until it was made in Chattanooga which that's okay and i think we've converted a lot of those people um now that it is made in Chattanooga um so the reason that we retired 1816 is because 1816 is not our story. I mean, it's, it was never authentically made by Chattanooga uh, or authentically made by Chattanooga whiskey in Chattanooga, Tennessee. So it, it was. it's also a recipe that wasn't our recipe. And when we built the experimental distillery, when we hired Grant McCracken, our now chief product officer and our head distiller at that point, um, he pushed me to explore recipes to create something that really is uniquely ours. You know, we just spent all this time changing laws and essentially trailblazing all to what? Just make somebody else's product, you know, um, utilize somebody else's recipe, a piggyback on somebody else's story. Which, of course, there's always going to be some some portion of someone's story that you're inspired by, right? I mean, mm -hmm. so I'm not going to say that everything is always 100% authentically unique. But we had an opportunity with the experimental distillery with a 100-gallon pot still and three 100-gallon fermenters and a 100-gallon cooker to really, uh, at, at relatively low risk, explore lots of different methodologies and recipes in the bourbon making process or in the American whiskey making process. And as we did that, we got two years down the road and we had over a hundred recipes put away and we had utilized over a hundred different specialty malts. Now Grant's background being, you know, uh, prolific in beer, 
he saw an opportunity to utilize specialty malts in American whiskey and in bourbon to the degree that really no distillery ever had before. And so we created this own, our own unique framework that we ended up trademarking called Tennessee High Malt in that process. So, so everything we did in those first two years and still continue to do to this day was in that Tennessee high malt framework. Everything was greater than 25% in specialty malted grains. So pretty quickly, we started making something that was very uniquely ours and very different, even though it carried some, it, it was, a lot of it was still bourbon, straight bourbon whiskey by definition, which means that, of course, it was inspired by the straight bourbon whiskey that we were born from, which was 1816. Uh, the MGP recipe, um, it was a lot different than that. And so there was no reason for us to continue the 1816 label. Uh, and so when we built, when we had two successful years at the experimental distillery, we were able to raise the capital to build the Riverfront Distillery, which we went from a 3,000 in a square foot operating uh, micro distillery, essentially, which we still operate to this day as the experimental distillery. And we, and we built a 50,000 square foot distillery that can produce, you know, 40, 50 times what the experimental distillery can do. And we had all, we had this barrel seller of all these really awesome recipes to choose from to scale up to replace 1816 and going through that, like bracketology, going through from 100 barrels down to the final four and, and in the final four, selecting barrel number 91, that was that to us, barrel 91, that was it. Like that was the story, right? That was the new story of authentic Chattanooga whiskey made in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And that is why we rebranded it and called it Chattanooga Whiskey 91. Well, I was going to say, I mean, when you, you get down to, to that many, now when you were, when you finally found the one, I think this is one of my favorite stories, you being you and Grant being Grant, Grant didn't want you to touch it too much. Right. But you had a different idea. Uh, but I think in the end it worked out because you got some pretty good feedback. <laughs> yeah. That is a funny story. I, I it's funny. I, I often forget about that. Um, yeah, you know, Grant uh, is, <laughs> well, you know, Grant's an artist, right? Uh, and I, we have a lot of artists here at Chattanooga Whiskey that that are a huge part of our creative process. And, um, and I'd like to consider myself one of those as well. And a true artist's work is never complete, right? It's never done. And uh, in, in Grant's defense, you know, he's, he's in the process of making this beautiful artwork and I'm trying to rush it to market because I think it's ready to go. And I don't know that. I mean, I, I'm not sure with Grant, it would have ever necessarily been ready to go. There was never going to be a perfect time for that. Right. Um, we weren't trying to be the perfect uh, picture of Tennessee whiskey or straight bourbon whiskey in that, you know, it has to be corn, rye, barley, and it has to be aged, you know, four to six years. I mean, again, we, we, we crafted something that no one's ever seen before. 
really. I mean, within, again, you know, obviously there's shares a lot of commonality. So we are targeting a, an, a bourbon audience, but we're targeting a, a bourbon audience with something that the bourbon audience has never heard of called Tennessee High Malt. So to me, it's like, look, we, you know, one of our slogans is change the rules. We've always changed the rules. We changed the rules again with Tennessee High Malt, and we should change the rules again with when we decide our product is ready to go to market. So yeah, I started taking samples of uh, of 91 and and mainly 91 and some other recipes, but um, but that was 80% of what we were producing at Riverfront. And I was pulling samples at, you know, eight months, 10 months, 12 months, 14 months, just constantly pulling samples. And it, and it hit, when it hit like 18, 19 months, there was definitely a holy cow moment for me. And uh, I just thought it was incredible. And I started blind tasting you know, really well-known chefs in town and bartenders in town and people that have, that are known to have uh, respectable palates. And I would blind taste them on, uh, with stuff that I know that they really like, you know, it could be like Four Roses Single Barrel, or it could be Blanton's or, you know, um, Weller 12 or whatever. I just took, it took all these like popular products and I would uh, put them I would put them in a blind against an 18-month Chattanooga Whiskey 91 at the time, and I would have them essentially rank and guess the age and guess the proof. And, at the, you know, that it was it was barrel strength. It wasn't at 91 proof. It was at like 100 and, you know, probably 118, 119 proof. Our barrel entry is 115, but it goes up here at the distillery in proof. So, uh, so every, so I, I probably did this a hundred times and I, in grant, I didn't tell a grant until probably after 90 of them, you know, and I had all this data and I even had one of the, one of the top chefs in Chattanooga come to the distillery and do this blind in front of grant, which was painstaking. And he was in, you know, grant was just cringing, waiting for him to say, man, this this crap's, you know, it's 18 or it's, it's, this is really young and really hot. It's not ready to go. And I don't know what this is, but it sucks. And, and for the hundredth time, right in front of Grant, he goes, uh, this is number one out of like five blinds with some amazing products in there that were, some of them were, you know, 10, 12 plus years old. And, and, uh, and it was 91 that he chose. And he guessed that it was eight plus years old. And it was 18 months old. And he guessed that it was less than 100 proof. And it was 118 proof. And I was like, Grant, this stuff's ready to go. Which, of course, you know, it, it, it didn't graduate to straight bourbon whiskey until it's 24 months old. And so we didn't release it until I think it was about 26 or 27 months. But uh, we just said, screw it. You know, like this, this product is ready. And... To Grant's dismay, that blind tasting uh, pushed us to uh, to release a product that I that is now still less than ninety one. Anyways, we have products that are north of four, five, six years old, but ninety one is still less than three years old. It is it has matured a little bit. It's, it's you know maybe two and a half, a little north of two and a half, but like but still less than three and is 
kicking ass and taking names. So, uh, you know, and we've, at that point, I think we were, a, I don't know, we were 15,000, 16, 17,000 six pack case, uh, you know, company. And now we're north of 50,000, you know, so um, with, uh, with that product. So, and we went from an 1816 that got upwards of 10 years old. And uh, now we released a, a vote whiskey at 12 years, but that was only four single barrels. But we were selling that product at north of eight years old. I think it was pushing 10 at one point. Um, we put it actually in the Solera barrel at 10 years old. So yeah, I mean, it was pushing 10 years old and we went from that to a two and a half year 91 from a from a 10 year traditional 75 corn, 21 rye, 4% malted barley, MGP, which now people rave about to a two and a half year 91. And, you know, we've uh, tripled, quadrupled our sales. So uh, I think you did something right because it's one of my favorites. It's one that stays on my shelf uh, pretty consistently. Maybe not the 91 as much as the Cask 111, uh, yeah. but but both are, are, are great. And, you know, when, when it's you have stuff like that, how fun is it then to kind of build out? Because, you know, like you mentioned, you got the founders, um, the 11th uh, um, anniversary blend, which is the past, present and future um, that, you know, kind of blends all those together. You've added the bottled and bond, the rye and things like that. How has it been to add on uh, as well? Yeah, so I'll, I'll give Grant a lot of credit here, too, because um, he came to me pretty early on and said, hey, let's scale a lot of recipes. At first, we only scaled 91. And then we were kind of trying to be selective about another recipe to scale. I think we had chosen our rye, for example, like which was the seventh. Uh, was it the seventh release? Yeah, it was the seventh. It was batch 007 out of the experimental distillery. And it did well. And, and we really liked that product. It was a malted rye, of course, you know, again, in the Tennessee high malt uh, style. And so that felt like a natural add-on to within our flagships. Uh, having 91 and then a unfiltered cask forward version of 91, which we call cask 111, and then uh, added the recipe 99 rye. We really liked our batch 008 out of the experimental distillery, which was a which was a single malt. And so we scaled that one as well. But then Grant came to me and he was like, let's scale all the first, you know, 10 releases out of the experimental distillery. And I'm like, I mean, that sounds kind of uh, reckless. I'm not sure, like, we don't, we, we, we don't know if we have market demand for all these things, but, you know, I just... I trusted them and I do trust them. And so um, we did it. And then, you know, <laughs> and then after that, God, I don't know, we, we scaled probably like three dozen more recipes uh, from it. And it's, and at the, at the time you're thinking, what are we going to do with all these products? And now uh, I guess, so we, we established again, we established experimental and began distilling in 2015. So that was, you know, eight years ago. And we've we established Riverfront in 2017, so six years ago. Uh, it's six years later. The blends that we have come out with, we could have never done if we didn't scale all these recipes. It has given us so much creative power and flexibility 
that I think that um, really celebrates not just Chattanooga Whiskey's innovation, ability to innovate, but it gives tenant our style of whiskey, our style of bourbon, Tennessee high malt, it gives it a lot more credibility um, because you can do so much with it. And uh, again, being greater than 25% specialty malt in, in all of our recipes, so upwards of 100%. Like our, our Infinity Solera barrel, that's one of the three barrels that we use to blend founders with. That's That's made up of 16 different recipes that are all uh all straight malt recipes you know that whole barrel is straight malt so um you know coming out with a bottle and bond that is that has two vintages per year and each vintage is a new evolution with you know you adding or subtracting an, a a a different high malt recipe in there is something that no one else is doing. There's not a bottled and bond that is as complex as our bottled and bond because of what we've been able to do with um, scaling all of these different recipes and then being able to blend. So, you know, we have a distilling team of 15 and in that, in that distilling team, I would say at least five, maybe six of, of those distillers are members of our R&D team. And they they all have specialties within R&D department. They've got, some of them just focus on blending. You know, some of them just focus on recipe development at Experimental. Some of them uh, just focus on recipe development at Riverfront. So, you know, there's just so much you can do with all of these recipes. And I think when you look at the release of founders and how complex it is between these three Solera barrels and what goes into those three Solera barrels. When you look at, um, I mean, just 91 is, is a blend of different toasts and chars in a 4,000 gallon white oak Solera barrel. Um, when you look at our barrel finishing series, which is a unique release every year, the first one was Tawny Port. The second one was Scotch Cast. The third one uh, was Silver Oak um, Cabernet. Those, all three of those were not our flagship recipe. All three of those might have had 91 in it, but they were a blend of lots of different recipes. Uh, and like Silver Oak was a blend of uh, five different single malt recipes. I think Tawny Port had six different recipes in it. So the, the, the innovation that has come even out of, I mean, at first in my mind, it's like, okay, we're building a big, a big craft distillery that can produce north of 2,000 barrels a year, 3,000 barrels. Right now we're at 2,000, but it has the capability of pushing three plus thousand. It's kind of like, all right, you're just scaling your flagships, but we have managed to turn this place into its own uh, innovative hub. And, um, and that has created some, well, honestly, it's kept the energy alive. It's kept the momentum alive. It's kept the energy alive, and it's one of the reasons that we're. That's one of the reasons that I think we we earned uh, craft producer of the year from Whiskey Magazine. I was going to say you guys have have always made amazing products, and 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 you know when you have folks like Grant, who's now you know kind of taken that gone from head distiller to now just chief product officer, and you've you've added Tiana to being the head distiller. 
what's it like to have folks like that that like you said come to you with actual different ideas that you may not have thought of but you know three four years down the road you're like i'm so thankful you did i think the creativity of our team is absolutely the power of our team without without question um and they are passionate about chattanooga whiskey and the reason that they are passionate about chattanooga whiskey is because they are creating it and they we we listen to them we listen to their ideas and really it is the leadership's job to make sure that we can channel these ideas and bring them to market in a way that isn't you know or bring them to bring them to market in a way that is Chattanooga whiskey right uh and I think our leadership team has done that very well, and that has allowed a ton of creative freedom within within these walls and within what we call Tennessee high malt. Because again, we're not subjecting ourselves to a style or a category that is super, I mean, it, yes, it, it is regimented or it is structured, but it does have structure around it, but we've allowed ourselves to be a lot more free uh, within that, uh, within the the confines of American whiskey or the confines of straight bourbon. And um, in Tennessee high malt, again, not just calling ourselves Tennessee whiskey and just doing a, a Lincoln County process filtration, right, uh, on a traditional mash bill, which there's absolutely nothing wrong with that and again it has paved the way for you know people like us to be inspired by that and then create our own unique thing um off of a demand that has been created around that product but uh but yeah i mean i mean we wouldn't be where we are without grant tiana and without we've got 40 employees at chattanooga whiskey and i think we, I mean, and, and, and being in Chattanooga, Tennessee has helped a lot. It's a, it is a very creative town and it's a, and it's in a great part of the country. And I think it's, uh, you know, with the outdoors, especially, you know, you have a lot of creatives that are drawn to the outdoors and, um, and of course craft beverage is, is cool. And it's, it's, you know, it's a cool thing to be a part of and, we have managed to create a, a very innovative product within a traditional uh, industry. And our creative people have had everything to do with that. And they, and I know, and, and they are passionate about what they create. And so, I mean, specifically like, uh, if just, if we're just talking Grant and Tiana, there's a lot of the people I could talk about, but um, I mean, Grant is, I mean, he's got, he's got a really cool story. And I mean, going, coming out of college, uh, out of Indiana, ironically, and, uh, and, and going into business consulting and then saying, I hate this. And just deciding that he wanted to be a brewer and he was a home brewer and, you know, became, uh, a head brewer for a really prominent brewery. One of the, I would say, maybe the most uh, well, the, the most well-known craft brewery in the world and being a big part of their innovation. And then 
you know, beginning to distill at home and, uh, and then being able to take some of those, you know, some of that, those creative recipes and distill those recipes and saw an opportunity to, to uh, pave a path in, uh, in distilling that perhaps had already been paved in brewing, right? So, mm-hmm. um, and that that obviously uh, it takes somebody. It really takes a creative genius to be able to to see that opportunity and to uproot your life in the Northeast and come down to Chattanooga, Tennessee, and with where you know absolutely no one, and and we hadn't even built a distillery yet. It was just an idea at that time, right? So I mean, that's a huge risk to take on his part. Yeah. And then uh, Tiana did the same. I mean, Tiana in her own unique way. I mean, she she uprooted her life in California and came to Chattanooga, Tennessee, where she knew no one. And, um, and, uh, and, and as a, and as a jewelry maker, right. I mean, she, she makes this beautiful jewelry and, uh, and as a craftsman on and, and, you know, was already a craftsman and was already an artist and, uh, has an amazing ability to, um, to, you know, had an amazing ability to take, her skill set and plug that into uh, to even now large scale production, right? Because that's really hard to do. It's, mm-hmm. it's hard when you're a when you know if you're a craftsman or you're a tinkerer, and to be able to scale that, I think that requires a lot of discipline. And that is what is also unique about those two. They have the ability to be craftsmen, but they also have the discipline in order to scale it. And that is, uh, and that is what I'm super thankful for. I was going to say it's led to some amazing products. Like I said, the cask 111 is one of my favorites. I really have enjoyed a few pours out of this bad boy the, the, the other night. Um, it's a unique blend. And, and I guess for my last question, cause I think we we've t- talked about what's next. You guys have got some fun recipes in store and you're always doing new things, but this is the road trip series and you're on the Kentucky podcast road trip down to Chattanooga. What can folks do? What can folks expect? What should folks do? Well, they should definitely come and tour the Chattanooga whiskey experimental distillery at 1439 market street. Uh, it is on TripAdvisor. It is the, one of the top tourist attractions in all of Chattanooga, which has a lot of really great tourist attractions that are family friendly. Uh, we are of course, 21 and up. Um, but uh, it, you know we're, we operate seven days a week there. We have uh, now produced north of 450 experimental barrels, which we call it the only standalone experimental whiskey distillery in the United States for that reason. And um, we do tours every hour on the hour. Uh, we have a flight of whiskeys that is second to none that includes product that is exclusively uh, distilled um, and poured there at the experimental distillery. You can only purchase experimental labels at the experimental distillery, but we also uh, showcase our flagships there as well. The Riverfront Distillery is not open for tours. Um, at some point, maybe in the future, it will be, but uh, I would highly encourage uh, scoping out the experimental distillery, which you can reserve online, your tours online. Uh, we are the experimental distillery is in the south side of Chattanooga. The south side is where I live. It is the food and bev hub of Chattanooga. 
Uh, so when you're at the experimental distillery, either before or after, you can walk to any number of fantastic locally owned uh, great craft restaurants um, and have great cocktails or great food. Um, and then, of course, you know, we're surrounded by mountains. So you can go up to Rock City, Ruby Falls. You can go to the aquarium. We have one of the best aquariums in the country on the Tennessee Riverfront. There's a lot to do here. It's a great town. And uh, it's a little hot in the summertime. We are in southeast Tennessee. But for me, it's great because it ages our whiskey. So, um, but yeah, definitely encourage everybody to come and, and check us out and get on our website, explore our website. And you can also book your tours on ChatternigaWhiskey.com as well. I was going to say, we're, we're used to that here in, in Kentucky. I think uh, this weekend uh, it's supposed to hit 91. Um, I'll be out at a music festival and I'll be drinking as much water as humanly possible. <laughs> so I understand the the heat. And, uh, and and Tim, thanks for sharing the story. Some good pours as well from, from Chattanooga Whiskey. And like I said, folks, if you haven't yet, try it. And if you can get down to Chattanooga, I also recommend that as well. Thanks, Jonathan. I appreciate you having me on. Find more from Hops and Spirits at hopspirits.com. Thanks, everybody. Bye.